Thank you, Brett. Uh, can I add my welcome to that of Amy's? My name is Luke. I'm the minister here at Bob and Head Church, and it's wonderful to have you with us. Uh, we had some time this morning uh, together in prayer, uh, which was a good thing to do as a community, and we heard a little bit of an update uh, from the Morris family. And so if you weren't here, you might have to ask some people who are here to find out what's going on there, or I might be able to send you the link uh, if you're on our email list um, to the video that they showed to us. One of the difficulties that people uh, have if they've been a Christian for a while, uh, or perhaps not a Christian but searching with questions, is the feeling of the absence of Jesus' guidance in your life. That is, we desire as followers of Jesus, Jesus helping us in our life, in every detail of our life, don't we? And sometimes he can feel absent, sometimes his guidance cannot be where we think it is. I'm reminded of the scene, the Jim Carrey movie, Bruce Almighty. There's a scene, uh, if you know that movie, he... he, um, he has to become God for, a, I don't know, a week or something like that. But towards the beginning of the movie, he's kind of saying, if you just give me a sign, he's driving along. And there's a caution sign on the road. And then he says, please just give me a sign. And a, and a truck full of street signs come in front of him. You know, and it kind of builds up. And the point is, he's asking for a sign, but the signs are there in front of him and he's not actually aware of them. I don't know about you, but what does guidance, what does Jesus' guidance in your life mean for you? One of the tricky things, I think, uh, being a student of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, is that it doesn't just mean believing his promises, his good promises. It also means heeding his warnings. And there are a number of them. And we're going to see that his warnings, even though they might be phrased in the negative, as we see today, the warnings themselves are actually a wonderful blessing and a gift. They're not actually a burden or a barrier to our relationship with God. They're not a hindrance to having life to the full, these warning passages. But actually a means of grace, the theologians will say, a way in which God blesses us and gifts us to keep us following him, to keeping us on the path. Now, as Brett uh, read uh, a few moments ago in that second reading, we see that today's passage has two clear warnings. The two imperatives that are there. One about the importance of finding the narrow gate, the narrow path. And the other one about avoiding false prophets. So we're going to look at each of them in turn for a moment and then reflect on the implications uh, that these verses have for us and these instructions. First of all, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Well, there's a couple of uncomfortable things for us to hear in those words. First of all is the word destruction. We don't like the idea often of Jesus talking about the road that leads to destruction. Uh, you might have heard this before, but 
people often don't speak about the way that Jesus mentions hell, but he speaks about hell more than anybody in the Bible. And here he speaks about, in the language of destruction, the first challenge for us, as we before we even think about these words of Jesus, is whether we believe the premise of his analogy here, the road to destruction and the road to life. Then he tells us to not enter through the wide gate, but to enter through the narrow gate. Now, the wide gate, I take it, when we look at the context of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, the wide path is kind of the autopilot option. It's the path of least resistance. It's going with the flow. On the surface, seems like the natural choice. I remember going walking with the men uh, at the end of last year. We had a breakfast that went down to... Um, we went down to Bob and Head, and I was hoping they would take the nice wide fire trail, <laughs> but Anthony Asher led the way and took us on the skinny, um, uh, narrow path. But that was actually a real blessing. <laughs> it would have been quite boring on that wide fire trail path. The wide path is the one that seems like the obvious choice, the straightforward option. But Jesus is saying, be very, very careful. Don't take it. Take the narrow path. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean Christians are going to seek out suffering for suffering? It's like, what is it, parkour or whatever it is, the most difficult route possible? <laughs> is that what Jesus is saying? I think if we stand back and think about what it means to go with the natural, obvious autopilot choice, I think we can get a sense of what Jesus is saying. Where might we be tempted to take the wide path? Are you the kind of person who might take the wide path by being a conflict avoider? Avoiding avoiding conflict at all costs, keeping the peace regardless of what is at stake. You might be in conversations with friends, peers, uh, in the workplace, just in the community. You might hear a lot of things, but all you want to do is just keep the peace at all costs, because that's just going with the flow. Or the opposite, you might go with the flow by being an outrage addict. You might, like a lot of people these days, jump at being offended by everything. Taking the wide path. The order, what are the habits, the dreams, the hopes that you might have inherited subconsciously, perhaps? That is just simply taking the wide path, the autopilot path. What might be those moral values, those things that you have just accepted without question? But really are just the, the moral values of the society we live in right now. A version of tolerance that cannot tolerate people who believe objective truth. Who believe there's a God. 
what kind of things we have we inherited? Maybe just as we hear this, reflecting, which ways do you think we might have inherited, taken this, this wide path? We're going to come back uh, in a bit later to think about what it means to take the narrow path, to enter through the narrow gate. But let's have a look at the second warning. The second warning is, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. You've heard of fake news. This is fake prophets. Watch out. And the warning is clear. Like the wide gate, they seem like the natural option, the appealing option. They come in sheep's clothing. These false prophets are not going to come in to a community like wolves. They're going to look like sheep. They're going to look and speak and talk the same way and say all the things that tick all the boxes. But... Like the wide path that leads to destruction, these false prophets are like ferocious wolves that devour. And so we're called to avoid them. Now, I think that is one of the hardest things for us as a community in this day and age to watch out for false prophets false teachers. False teaching is, is spoken about uh, throughout the New Testament and it's one of the hardest parts of my job. When I, in the Anglican church, one of the things that I commit to and one of the people ask, what is, what is your job? Why are you here? Um, you might be still wondering that, why I'm here. <laughs> what, is, what are you actually here for? One of the things in the Anglican church that you promise to and you commit to is to protect the church from false teachers and false teaching. And it's easier to do that in the positive, as in to teach from the Bible each week, but to actually correct and pull people up, pull myself up, when I've discovered that actually I'm not preaching the gospel, I'm leading people astray. When you see people speaking words that are doing damage, we are called to watch out for false prophets. Now, let's just pause just for a moment and step back again to our view of the Christian life and what we expect of it. Uh, when you hear about the Christian life, uh, there, there's some great... Come, come to me, all you who are weary and heavily laden, I'll give you rest. I'll refresh you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I have come, Jesus says, that you may have life, life to the full. These kind of warnings don't feel like that, do they? A narrow path? Is that life to the full? Being on the alert for these false prophets, is that life to the full? What about the good news? What about this thing that we talk about, the gospel? How is what we're hearing this morning good? Well, I want us to zoom in just for a moment 
And notice what Jesus says about fruit. So there's an idea that holds these two uh, passages together. These, sorry, these two sections. There's a bit about the paths and the gates, and then there's the the kind of the the prophets and the fruit and that kind of thing. So you see in verse 14, only a few will find it. That idea of finding. And then in verse 16, by their fruit, you will recognize them. The idea of finding again, spotting. And here Jesus uses the fruit analogy. This is how you are to discern the true prophet from the false prophet. And in a way, you're probably the narrow and the wide path as well, but, but we'll just stick with the prophets for the moment. True prophet, false prophet from the fruits. Now, how do we take these uh, words of Jesus? Some people might take it to be uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Well, you'll, um, the people who are walking around in the church community with love, joy, peace, patience, there, that's how you spot them. It could be that. I take it, actually, that Jesus is talking about less about the fruit that comes from their personality or their outward um, character. I take it, the fruit that Jesus is talking about is the fruit that they produce in the community. So, remember, when, when he says these false prophets come in with sheep's clothing... Another way you could say is fruit-like clothing, <laughs> looking like the fruits of the Spirit, but inwardly they're not. They're, they're kind of counterfeit prophets. They, they kind of look the part. And Jesus says, no, the way you're going to recognize these prophets, the true from the false, is by looking at what fruit they produce in the community they come into. Do they produce division? Do they produce conflict? Do they produce people walking away from Jesus? Do they, what do they produce? Now, we know about fruit. Fruit, fruit takes a while to ripen, doesn't it? You can't just sort of spot fruit. It takes a, a bit of time. But, Jesus is saying you can spot these true and false by the fruit that they produce in the community. Well, does that help us? Well, maybe in one sense we could, we could spot uh, if somebody in this community uh, was consistently causing division and there was kind of a... like uh, Everyone who had something to do with this particular person was just... Uh, was, was just disruptive and, and, and thankfully we've got nobody like that in this church and, and praise God that got, God has been very kind to us. We don't have this kind of level of division but imagine someone coming in and, and everything came back to this particular person. There was just division and you see it in politics a lot, don't you? Those kind of people who are kind of stirring up division even on the surface they might look like they're saying the right things. Well, maybe you could spot it that way. I think Jesus is doing something at a deeper level with these words in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember when they're spoken, they're spoken to uh, Jesus' disciples, to his followers, uh, before he goes to the cross. 
before his resurrection. And you can imagine them hearing it as just a bit of moral teaching. Okay, make sure you um, don't go on autopilot. Make sure you take the narrow path. And they can, okay, all right. And then kind of, take, well, make sure you look out for the false teachers because you'll spot them by their fruit. And you're going, okay. It might not be very practical to help. But Jesus is anticipating where he's going. He's going to the cross where he dies for the sins of humanity. He goes on the narrowest path. He dies completely alone. He takes on the scorn, the mocking, the shame, the rejection that we deserve. He goes ahead of us on the narrowest of paths, while even people like Peter take the wide road, distancing themselves from Jesus. And three days later, he is raised from the grave. And in, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So these New Testament Christians trying to work out, okay, we've got Jesus, we've got all these other prophets and other teachers, let's look at the fruit that they're produced in the community to see which one we're going to follow. Okay, we've got some rabbis who might uh, have some nice flowing garments and have some great seats and places of honour. We've got this carpenter guy who was crucified, but actually, hang on a second, he rose from the dead. Does anyone else do that? He promised new life. Standing back, who has produced fruit? Jesus has produced fruit. He has produced life. And, and you see the fruit in the New Testament, in the, in the early church. It just, the, the, uh, the belief in the resurrection, that truth that Jesus rose from the dead and all those who, and all those who trust in him will also be raised again. The early church just expanded more than any virus that we see today. It expanded everywhere because of the hope of life after death because Jesus had proved it. The first fruits of those to come. I said, uh, I said uh, at the beginning that when we see these words of Jesus, the narrow gate and the discernment of the true from the false prophet, when we see them through the lens of who he is, what he has done, they're actually not these burdens that hang over our head. They're a gift. They're liberating. We're called to not... Why would we go to any other fruitless prophet, no matter how nice they speak? There's an example in, um, uh, in the news recently of seeing this um, liberating power uh, of, of the fruit that Jesus gives uh, in... In the, in the story, in the awful story of um, uh, the um, Layla uh, Giagia, is it? 
the mother of the three children who were killed by the uh, drunk driver recently. And she said this, I know the guy was drunk driving on these streets. Right now I can't hate him. I don't want to see him. I don't hate him. I think in my heart I forgive him. I want the court to be fair. I'm sad, I'm heartbroken, but I'm at peace because I know my kids are in a better place. These are soldiers of God. There is an afterlife. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. That's walking the narrow path. That's not a wide path to go on to forgive a drunk driver for killing your three children. And can I say that these warning passages in the Sermon on the Mount will feel like huge burdens, unlivable, undesirable, unless we read them understanding that Jesus has gone before us. He's given us a hope, a certainty that our dreams, our hopes, our ambitions are all fulfilled in him. They're secure in him. And it's only then that we eagerly seek to walk the path that he walked, the narrow path, and seek to heed his promises to us, the true prophet. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you have indeed sent your son and he has gone before us. We ask that you will help us to be a people that resist just going with whatever the popular opinion is of the day, whatever will get affirmation from our peers. Help help us to be cautious uh, when we find ourselves just taking on views and convictions and values that everyone else has. Help us to be wise in discerning whether we are walking the wide road or the narrow road. We ask that you'll help us to have that wisdom that comes through having our hearts and minds set on you and what you have done for us in your Son. We ask these things in his name. Amen.